Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 21 this morning. Verses 8 through 21, Ephesians 5, before we go to God's Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to Your Holy Word, we pray that You would help us to understand and to see the words we read this morning, that Your Word is a lamp unto our feet, a light into our paths. We do not have that light in us by ourselves. Without your word, we cannot see our way. So Lord, we pray that you would please open our eyes that we might see and that you would use your word to do so. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. The main theme of our passage today is this idea of walking in the light and us as Christians as being a light in a dark world. On Wednesday night, we covered Joseph, a character in the Old Testament in Genesis in the last 13 or so chapters of Genesis. I encourage you to read those chapters in your own study. But Joseph was an example of someone in the Bible who stood out. Among his peers, he stood out wherever he went. Not only, again, his family members, he stood out among them. He stood out in Egypt, which was by and large a pagan nation for the great majority of his life. He stood above and beyond everyone. His life was characterized by honor and truth, even though there were lots of bumps along the road, including being sold into slavery, being thrown into prison as an innocent man, and so many other things. He represented the light of God's providence in a dark pagan land. So as we move into Ephesians 5, or as we move through Ephesians 5, I guess we should say, we are met with the teaching that in Christ we, in Him, are called children of light, which is set against the darkness of the world. And so much of that, that the children of light are are called to expose the darkness around them. For what it is. This is continuing to build upon the imperative that we should walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We saw that at the beginning of chapter 4. And last week we read that we should be imitators of God. And understanding what that means. This idea of walking in the light not only separates us from the outside world, but it also helps us to discern and understand the will of God for our lives. Which is something that a lot of Christians really concern themselves with. God's will for our lives isn't some mystery that we can't know, but we can know it by simply reading His Word. His will for our lives is to live as children of light. So as we look in this passage, we're going to consider that idea and what it means for our everyday lives as believers. We'll also look at how it changes the way that we speak and work with each other in the church as well. So as we look, as we walk through the text, three main ideas, walking, as children of light, exposing the deeds of darkness, and then finally living together in the light. So with that, let's look together at the text, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 21. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 21. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk. As children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good 
and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So for a bit of context here, I think understanding the historical context in particular is helpful here as we read in verse 16 that the days are evil. That's what Paul tells us. So what is he talking about? What is what's particularly evil about Ephesus at the time? We talked about this as we introduced the book, but Ephesus was the center of the worship of the goddess named Artemis, who was the goddess of fertility and several other things. And the worship of Artemis is also often associated with several forms of sexual morality, along with lots of other sinful practices. And so it was easy for Ephesian Christians to be kind of swept up into this cult of Artemis, particularly because it was closely tied with a lot of the local trade guilds as they would make little Artemises and sell them. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny to think that that sort of trinketry exists way back then. But a lot of the business in Ephesus had to do with the worship of Artemis, and it was all tied up together. So for the church of Ephesus, the idea of darkness versus light would have been something that they understood very well. There would have been a very sharp divide between the darkness and the light. But any Christian, any Christian who understands their world, understands the requirements of God, can't help but notice the darkness in the world that is set against those requirements and those standards. It's not that our time is really any different from any other time. You hear it all the time. People are like, well, this is so much different, it's so much more evil today than it's ever been. It may seem that way because our own context has changed so much in the last 50 years, but America is a very young country, a very big world. And people were just as sinful now, or just as sinful then as they are now. It just looks different today because the world is different. But the instructions to us remain the same. We are to walk as children of light. That brings us to the first point, walking as children of light. Look with me again at verses 8 and 9. For at one time you were darkness. Now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Last week we ended with the idea that we should not partner with the world as it would hinder our ability to be imitators of Christ. We talked about the divide between the people of God and the sons of disobedience. We read about in verse 6 and in all the way back in chapter 2. In fact, throughout Ephesians, there's this 
use of ideas, these particular these themes, these sons and of lightness versus dark, the people of God versus the people of the world. It's a big part of the reason why Paul wants the church to be united as one body in Christ, as we read in chapters two and three. Besides, because because of the fact that there are only really two sides in this eternal conflict, the people of God and the people of darkness or the people of the world. There is no gradation in the people of God, meaning that the people of God are one group united under Christ. The other group is the world. There's no other kinds of Christians the last day, Jesus teaches that there's the people are going to be divided into two groups. And the images that the Lord Jesus uses is sheep and goats, which are his followers and his enemies. That's it. As we move forward today, it's important to establish that divide. There is no third way. There is no higher rung of Christianity that we are attempting to get to. So in verse 8, we are reminded that we were once darkness, being dead in our trespasses, being counted as children of wrath. But now we are in the light. We are called children of light. This transition from darkness to light is going to be seen throughout the rest of the text today and really seen throughout the entirety of the scriptures, referring to the people of God compared to the people of the world. So one of the passages that we've actually studied before I think does a really good job of showing this division and even showing the difference that our Lord Jesus makes in this division is in in Isaiah chapter 60. So turn to Isaiah chapter 60 with me. There's been a lot of time in the book of Isaiah, a couple years total time. It's a big old book. These first three verses of chapter 60 I think are really helpful. And kind of seeing the difference. And not only the difference between light and darkness, but the effect that the light has on the world. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. This prophecy is concerning the change that takes place in the people of God with the coming of our Lord Jesus. He brings his people from darkness to light by taking on to himself the darkness so that we could walk in newness of life. This is a light that not only guides the people of God, but is also, as you can see, not only guides the people of God and changes them, but it's also a beacon to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world sees that light and it has two effects on them. It either scatters them, like mice being exposed and needing to scatter to find safety, or they are drawn to it according to the Lord's good pleasure. This is echoed throughout the New Testament, even our Lord Jesus himself. What did he call himself? I am the light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So because we have this light, 
brothers and sisters in Christ, rather than walking in darkness, we are able to see in that light and by that light. Rather than fumbling around in the darkness, hoping that we can find the way that we ought to go, we have a guide. We read this morning from Psalm 119, the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. This is why we read what we see in verse 10. That with this light, we are able to see. And I think the ESV's translation here in verse 10 is a bit lacking because of our understanding of the word try. Look at verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I think if you read this in 21st century English, it makes it sound as if the will of God is some hidden and mysterious thing that we are constantly trying to find. And if you talk to a lot of Christians, there's a there's quite a bit of despair concerning this. Well, I'm just looking for God's will in my life. I'm just constantly trying to find this thing, right? As if we're on some immeasurable search that really doesn't have an end. That learning what is pleasing to God is a pursuit that's veiled in secrecy and obscurity. A lot of authors have made a mint by writing books called The Will of God for Your Life or something like that because people are so concerned about this. As Christians, we have the revealed will of God in His Word, in the Bible. Contained in it are the commands of God that Jesus followed perfectly. Jesus followed the will of God perfectly And in so doing, he was able to, as verse 2 reminds us in chapter 5, to offer himself as a fragrant offering, a sweet-smelling offering to the Lord. There is no secret as to what pleases God, and it's following his commands. And there's no secret that we are unable to do that in and of ourselves. So we rely on the righteousness of Christ. In fact, we have the righteousness of Christ. That is not something that we have to try to find. In Christ, we have the righteousness of Christ. And so we are called to bear fruit that is aligned with being called children of light, which is what verse 9 says, that all that is good and right and true. So when it comes to trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, I think a better term there would actually be to examine, to examine what is pleasing to the Lord or to to even to test what is good to the Lord. Some of your translations probably use a word like test or prove there because the term in the original language is actually a blacksmithing term where the blacksmith would, would forge a tool or some metal and then would test the hardness of that metal to do the task that it has been called to do. It's about understanding ourselves. Understanding and examining our actions against the standard of God's Word, which is the only standard for our lives. Walking in the truth of God's Word is walking as children of light. We don't walk as children of light in order to earn our salvation, but we do in order to show, in order to test, in order to approve that we are indeed children of God. And part of that walking is exposing the darkness of this world. That brings us to the second point, exposing the deeds of darkness. Look with me again at verses 11 and 12. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So what we see here is kind of a twofold use of the regular preaching and teaching of God's word. Not just to build up the church so that we, the church, can discern the will of God and how we ought to walk as children of light, but also to expose the darkness of the unbeliever and their shameful deeds. And I want to be clear here as we talk about the unbeliever's shameful deeds. If you go back just a little bit, just a few chapters ago, if you go back just a little bit, you see that the only thing really separating the believer and the unbeliever is that the believer has been brought to life by Christ Himself. There isn't any kind of intellectual ascension that takes place in the life of the unbeliever that causes them to be a believer, that places them on some sort of important pedestal where they themselves have come about the knowledge, righteousness, and holiness that we have in Christ. Christ alone is the separation point, not our own ability. We've seen that over and over and over again. So when we read about the darkness and the deeds of the unbeliever, we have to be really careful that if we don't think that the difference is us. I think Paul does a great, a good job of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn there with me real quick. 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11. This is a great passage for understanding where we've come from. And not forgetting where we've come from when it comes particularly to our work and exposing the deeds of darkness. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. He says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here we have this list of deeds of the unrighteous, and we'd like for it to stop right there at those lists of deeds so that we could, you know, polish our own medals and say, well, look at me, I'm so much better. But then he says, no, such were some of you. The only difference is that you have been sanctified. You have been washed. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so for us, the Christian duty and authority to expose the deeds of darkness does not come from our own moral superiority, but from the moral superiority and the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ alone. We are merely His mouthpiece. And those who would proclaim His word on the earth. We don't get to make up our own words. We use His. And we see the reason for the exposing in, or convicting is another way of thinking about that in the next couple of verses. 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. 
So what is the purpose of our exposing the deeds of darkness? It is not so that we can somehow say, look at me, I'm good, and look at you, you're not. It is to call that which is dead to life. It is the means by which the Lord will shine His light on the unbeliever. It is the means by which you too were exposed to the truth of your sins and called to repentance in Christ. It's the same means. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if your purpose for the exposing the darkness of the world is anything else besides the hope of their salvation, you are in it for the wrong reasons. And it's right to be angry at the sins of the world. Even as we read verse 12, it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. We know that it's right to be angry at the deeds. But if your anger doesn't drive you to mercy, then it is misplaced. Because what did Jesus do? Well, He came to earth. He became man when He saw the crowds. He didn't have a vindictive kind of anger on them. Had He stopped even considering them for a second, they would have disappeared. But instead, He looked on them and He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Spending time here because I think it's right for us to understand that there is a a kind of anger, yes, that we should have concerning the deeds of the world, particularly when we see things like abortion and human trafficking and abuse and neglect and things that are just so horrendous. These things should make us long for a better world and long for Jesus to come back and make all things right. But until He does, we have been tasked with exposing the unfruitful works of darkness. But not like the prophet Jonah, for instance, who wished nothing more than for the Ninevites to become the next Sodom and Gomorrah. But like Jesus, who felt compassion, who preached the gospel to them and wanted nothing more than for them to trust in Him. The regular preaching and teaching of God's Word, both from the pulpit and in our daily lives, should have the effect that we see in verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I think that's the call for some of you here today. If you're here today and you're perhaps hearing that you need a Savior, for the first time, this is your call. This is Christ shining the light of life onto you. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. His is the only name by which you can be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through Jesus. Call upon His name and be saved. For the believers here, we have been called to live this way as individuals. To walk as children of life. To expose the deeds of darkness. But also to live this way together as His covenant people. And that brings us to the last point, living together in the light. Let's look at verses 15 through 18. Look carefully how then, or then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but filled with the Spirit. As you read this, it may seem like another admonition for the believer as an individual, which it is called to walk wisely, not as unwise, because the days are evil. We get that idea, but in 19 we see a different spin put on these verses. It reminds the Christian 
that life is not lived in a vacuum. The things that we do and say in community with other believers are important. So if we look at 19 and following, and I'll read 18 to kind of show you the context there. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And what are we to do then when we're filled with the Spirit? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our walking as children of light is to be done in community, not as rugged individuals. The world reveres the individualist who follows their own path and answers to no one. But the Christian life is the exact opposite of this. It values the community of God who answer to the written word of God and even answers to one another, as we see in verse 21. Verse 19 is quoted quite a bit when it comes to the type of music that we should sing in church, which is fine, I I guess. I don't know how helpful it is to try to parse between what is a hymn and a spiritual song and when and how and what context you should sing those different kinds of songs. I really don't know how that's very helpful because I see what this verse is ultimately teaching us is not about the types of music we should have in a worship service, but rather it is showing us the life of Christian community as opposed to the worldly community. The world is filled with calloused people seeking to find feeling from whatever they can put into their lives, sexual morality, money, and in the immediate context of verse 18, alcohol or any kind of substance abuse to fill that void. The Christian doesn't have to fill themselves with any sort of thing in order to have feeling. Rather, we have been filled with the Spirit of God already. And this is the same Spirit for each one of us. And so since we all have this same thing that is all filling us equally, then the natural outflow of that would be to address one another with these songs to our Lord. When we come together and sing corporately about our Lord Jesus and what He has done for us, Understand then, it's not about sounding good. It's about singing together. There's a difference there. Why do we sing these songs together? Because we have been filled with one spirit. We have been, what else should a Christian want to do? Well, you haven't heard me sing, someone will say to me. Understand, brother or sister in Christ, the act of singing together is a direct result of us being knit together by the Spirit of God. This isn't a suggestion that those who sound good ought to sing together, but this is a command that we all should sing out together because this is something that we naturally do together. Your ability to sound good is really inconsequential. You should be singing to the Lord. We should be singing together. That's why we don't have a concert up here on Sunday. Right? We don't have a concert where one person is singing, we're all enjoying their artistry and their musicianship. But we have a worship leader who sings and leads the congregation and who sings with the congregation. We worship in song together as a natural outflowing of the Spirit that is in us. And what else do we do together? We give thanks together. We do so in prayer. We do so in our regular offerings. We submit 
to one another. We do so in everyday conversations with one another. We do so in the governing structure of our church. We do so in regularly shepherding and taking care of one another in the church, both as your elders take care of you, but also as you take care of one another. You should be doing this. This is a natural outflowing of who we are in Christ. As walking as children of light, we should be exposing one another to the light that we have. This is different than the world who expose one another to darkness and only sink deeper and deeper into it. And again, I stress this heavily, that when we come together, understand that our status as children of light is because of the work of Jesus in our lives. We will be drawn closer together. And just as we read in Isaiah chapter 60, the world will see this, and they will be drawn also. The nations shall come to your light, is what we read in Isaiah 60 verse 3. We don't come together as a people who are better than those who aren't here. It's not why we come together. We come together as a people who worship the only one who is good, right, and true, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is liberating. It should be absolutely freeing to hear this, that you do not have to be good Yet, you're also called to walk as children of light. Opens God's word that it may be a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. Expose the deeds of this world that they may be risen to new life and they may have the light of Christ and walk together proclaiming the name of our common Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we pray that as we read these words, this commandment for us as your people, that we should walk as children of light. We are oftentimes so tempted by the darkness. When we say that out loud, it should, there should be no reason that we who have been shown so much, who have been given so much mercy and seen so much goodness as a result of your work in our lives while we would ever want to return to the darkness, but time and again we do. So Lord, help us. Change us. We pray, Lord, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds, that as we read and study and understand your word, that you would use it to transform us, to grow us, that we would be sanctified, as we walk together with you, not only so that we might glorify your name more, but that we could expose the deeds of darkness of this earth so that they can hear and know and call upon your name too and be saved. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.